The Fanny Mechanic Show with Dr. Tash, where we dive in, go deep, and open up about women's health. Hello, and welcome everyone to The Fanny Mechanic Show. I am your host, Dr. Natasha Andriatis, aka Dr. Tash, and this episode is proudly brought to you by City Fertility, global leaders in fertility and IVF. In this episode, we go for our last dive into the book, Members Club, a User's Guide to the Penis by Dr. Piet Hobeck, a urologist. We go balls deep with my good friend, Alex Nori Ballesteros. This is the fourth and final episode where Alex and I dissect the last three chapters of Dr. Piet's book, All About the Penis. We discuss chapters on penile abnormalities, the disturbed relationship between man and his penis, and looking after his genitals. Some of the questions that come up include, is a bent penis normal? Are straight penises at greater risk of penile fracture? Alex shares a hot tip for women riding a penis on top. We discuss hyperspadius, a common penile abnormality and causes of penile pain. Period sex. Ladies, do you do it? Penile dysmorphic disorder. Why nobody should tell a man to his face he has a small penis, even if he really has one. Masturbation. What about it? And why do men have to adjust themselves all the time? These podcasts are for everyone, whether you have a penis or not. I learned so much from both reading this book and navigating each of its chapters with the very open Alex Nori Ballesteros. I hope you enjoy our chat. Welcome back, Alex, to our last episode uh, that we're basing on Members Club, a user's guide to the penis. Thanks, Tash. Thank you for going on this journey with me. Uh, today's episode, we are dissecting the last three chapters of the book, which are one, abnormalities. Uh, the eighth chapter is disturbed relationship between man and his penis. And then the last chapter, which is pretty important, which is called look, looking after your genitals. Mm. Um, yeah, in the chapter, chapter number seven on abnormalities, um, he again talks about penis transplants and uh, the importance of them and that uh, there has been a program set up in America, he's written here, to help Navy servicemen who have lost their penis in the line of fire. Uh, have no illusions, he writes, if a, gra- if a grenade explodes between your legs, your genitals are usually the affected party. Mm-hmm. The program to transplant penises is planned for around 60 patients. Uh, the first procedure took place in March 2018. We don't know how the functional deployment of the new member has come on since then, so watch this space. Then he uh, has a subheading, and the subheading is called straight or bent. True or false, Alex? Mm-hmm. Bent penises are common. True. Yes. A great many congenital abnormalities, that is, abnormalities that men are born with, of the penis go hand in hand with a bent shape. A bent penis isn't necessarily an abnormality, true or false? Um, true. Yep. 10 to 20% of men have an erect penis with a slightly upward curvature. In other words, a penis that bend, bends towards the abdomen. Is this normal or abnormal, Alex? So it's normal and it, it makes sense, especially for, for missionary position. Yeah, it's exactly what he says. That is normal. More than that, it makes ease of penetration possible, possibly or particularly in the missionary position, still the most popular position for heterosexual couples. And what we learned in a previous chapter, 
was that a man's less likely to break his penis um, in the missionary position. So this particular position makes humans an exception within the animal kingdom because most mammals, including our close relatives, the gorilla and chimpanzee, have sexual contact without looking at each other. Interesting, Question, huh? do you hmm. think Do you think that we would have had doggy style early on in our like hominid history? Obviously, hominids are, you know, two and a half million years old. Mm. So do you think maybe we've, as we've become more, what's the word I'm looking for? We've become more close-knit. We've become theoretically more monogamous, Um, looking at our partner's face, sharing, you know, I guess, quote-unquote love with our partner. Do you think that's sort of evolved and that's what shapes the penis? Do you think like the facing them doing missionary then eventually shaped the penis because that's the usual way that it went? Good question. Uh, like we can't answer it, obviously. I'm just trying to pose I mean, some I, thoughts. I, I, I go back to what he said here about mammals, about gorillas and chimpanzees. I wouldn't know uh, in their day-to-day contact, in their social settings, whether these animals even look at each other in the eyes, maybe they never look at each other in the eyes. Yeah, maybe it's like a, it's a threat. Yeah. Whereas humans, we're very much about eye contact. Yeah, but I know in animals, um, you don't, you're not often supposed to look into their eyes. No. So. Stop looking in my eyes, Tash. <laughs> I feel threatened. Let's fight. And so you should. Let's fight right now. <laughs> uh, true or false? Good question. Mm. True or false? The natural upward curvature of the penis fits perfectly with the orientation of the vagina. I think we just answered that as true. That is true. Symmetrical body parts are usually never perfectly symmetrical, and so the longer the penis, the greater the effect of asymmetry. True or false? True. Mm-hmm. You know that's sorry, I didn't mm. interrupt. That's why I think most people have some form of scoliosis because, All right. yeah, because we've got asymmetrical organs. So therefore, there's going to be different pressure within the abdominal cavity, which is obviously going to change how the spine moves laterally. So scoliosis. Well, it's very I, common, I, isn't it? Yeah, I used to think it was more important than it is. I mean, there is a point where it becomes um, becomes a hindrance, so you can't load the spine effectively, and you know you need to do corrective exercise. But I actually think that scoliosis is a very normal um, response to that lateral change in, in abdominal pressure due to the more organs on one side than the other. Mm. I mean, yeah, when you look at Externally, we appear very symmetrical, don't we? No, we're not. But internally, we're not. Uh, Women so have much. usually a breast that's bigger than the other. Men have a bigger yep. testicle. The yep. other one that hangs lower. One foot's bigger than another. Yeah. One. Usually, one eye is bigger than another. Yeah. Usually, you know, obviously, one side of the body gets used more, mm. so the muscles get bigger on that side. Humans tend to, we tend to do well with asymmetry. There's an amazing book called A Life Unfolding, and it literally describes how a human forms from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. If anyone has an interest in embryology, it is an amazing book. We go from like pelvic floor out, don't we? No. Don't we? It just even talks about how um, in an embryo, the importance of fluid forming within the embryonic cavity, the blastocyst, that that fluid is really responsible um, for how a, a, an embryo forms. It, it takes you back to even just – 
um, the importance of, of pressure and how cells push each other mm. back and forth um, and, how, and how all of that comes to form what we are. Um, so it takes it from like a cellular level, which is just so amazing. Um, so if you're interested, that's one to read. Mm. Probably a bit too complicated for a uh, podcast book club episode. Probably too complicated for me. <laughs> True or false? Short penises are at greater risk of fracture. False. That's right. So long penises are actually at greater risk of fracture. I mean, it makes sense. Like, just about the, it's once again, we come back to physics. The moment arm, if the moment arm is longer, if the lever is longer, you're more likely to get pressure at the end of it. It's going to be prone to. I didn't fractures. do physics at school. Is it like, well, exercise essentially, exercise science is just applied physics in relation to, you know, the human body. It is, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's just mm. applied physics. It's all exercises. Mm. The woman on top position, often named the Amazon position, where the female partner sits on the male, puts you at greater risk of penile fracture. This position can create forces during intercourse that don't lie in the longitudinal axis of the penis, but which make the penis bend instead. The lateral forces can put a lot of stress on the erectile tissue, making it tear. The tear is described as a heavy shot of pain. The erection disappears instantly and then visible bruising develops. Very rarely the erectile tissue tears in the section where the urethra passes through. In this case, blood can come out of the urethra. Uh, Putting ice on it helps and hoping the bruising will go away by itself. Um, But, yeah, hoping the bruising will go away by itself won't help actually. Uh, go as quickly as possible to the hospital emergency department to have the tear stitched. A speedy surgical procedure gives the best chance of full recovery and reduces the risk of your penis being bent forevermore. During heavy sex, heavy sex, the suspensory ligament of the penis can also tear. It's unpleasant but rare and can be fixed. Afterwards, your penis will no more be bent or straight than before. Now, have you had any friends, male friends, where they've had their penis Fractured? No, I've had no broken dicks as far as I know. No. Within my friend circle. Okay. Luckily, I've definitely never had that. One thing to women as well, can I just like a little side mm-hmm. note? Mm-hmm. If you're on top, lim- mm-hmm. women like to play this game mm-hmm. where they just try and, you know, they'll come up a little bit and mm-hmm. they'll try and use the top half of the penis. Mm-hmm. Like they'll kind of, I'm, I'm showing Tash right now with mm-hmm. my fingers. Um, just they'll kind of do that mm-hmm. with it. Hot tip don't bloody do that. Because you want men to come early, they will, not because they're enjoying it, but they're anxious that oh, the penis is going to come out will. and hit the vagina. Oh, For me personally, I hate, yeah, so like I hate the feeling of that only the top half of the penis being ridden by the vagina up and down. All right. Hot tip women, go all the way down onto it and then grind your clit on them. Oh, okay. You get the clit stimulation. And you won't have to worry about him coming early or being like. But maybe you know, maybe women up. do that because um, maybe the 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 male partner's penis is really long and they don't physically want to go all that way. Maybe. Yeah, if that's the case, find a different position. Okay. But it's just one of those things that like. But if he's got a really long penis, then what I've just said isn't like I'm talking. He'd have to have like a nine, ten inch penis for this to kind of be nullified. Um, but no, but I, I, I think that some women can't even take a, an average size penis like like that. Really, if that's but, the scenario, I would I would pick a different position. Okay, that's yeah. good advice. Yeah, maybe missionary or, or something like that. But it's for me. I know personally that it's just like one of those things that it just uh, makes me me tense up and 
bit nervous. Yeah, I'm really worried about it coming out because it's happened to me before. It's come out and hit. That's ouch. And it doesn't feel super good. Ooh. So just please well, be, uh, be wary of it. At least you've not broken. No, concert. never fractured. He then talks about the urethra, which is, as you know, everyone knows, I assume everyone knows, the opening of um, where our, you know, where the men's. Your pee hole. Boom. Yep. And uh, urine come from, or come out of the spout. Um, he's talked about here the hyperspadius. Uh, that is a condition that urologists often see in their practice. Do you know what a hyperspadius is, Alex? Um, let me guess. Let me guess. Let me guess. Look, uh, do do what we always did in Greek, which was, or any any any, you know, language. Hypospadius. Yeah, hypo obviously being like less or lower. Lower, yeah. Um, what was it in relation to? What was it before? I'm trying to think. So what it's it's, it's an it's an abnormality of the urethral opening. Um, oh much, yeah, where yeah. it changes position, like it can yeah. be lower on the penis or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So generally, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's uh, when the urethral opening isn't in the right place. The urethra, which normally has its opening at the tip of the penis, ends somewhere on the underside of the penis. It could be just under the glands or the lower or lower down the shaft, anywhere down to the scrotum. Uh, it's quite common. How common is it? Do you think? Uh, as in percentage wise, or one in how many men? Um, I don't know, one in a thousand. One in a hundred men, apparently. Wow. So mm. it is pretty common. Yep. Super common. Um, some suggest that evolution is the cause. In the missionary position, a lower urethral opening means you could ejaculate right into the womb. Uh, that is creative reasoning, but it's nonsense. I don't believe a word of it, he writes. Hyperspadius won't increase your chance of producing offspring it, if only because the penis moves to and fro in the vagina continuously during penetration and never stays exactly in the right place for firing its artillery. Interesting. So it's not uncommon, one in a hundred males. A mild form of hyperspadius isn't a big problem and you can still urinate reasonably normally. If the urethral opening sits lower down and uh, lower down the penis, though it looks bent, and it can alter the appearance. Urine doesn't flow out in a targeted stream, but as a spray, we usually operate then. And I suppose that's when sitting on the toilet may be more useful for these boys and these men, so they don't get as much mess. Even if you don't have hyperspadius, mate, sit on as the toilet said before, to pee. Sit down to pee, man. <laughs> doesn't make you any more. Maybe less of a man doing it. Maybe you don't sit in a urinal, but I think, yeah, so sitting down. He's got here that it's actually better to operate on um, young boys with hyperspadius rather than waiting for them to become adults. And uh, yeah, yeah, 100%. Why do you think that might be? Just because the way the penis forms through puberty, like you're better off getting in there early so they've got more likelihood of the, the penis forming, like growing properly, but also like not having complications later on. Like I feel like you. You wouldn't have as much success later on. It'd be harder to have successful operations, more complications, etc. He's got here. We can't. We we can wait to operate for many things that aren't life threatening. But hyperspadius is a tricky issue in this respect. The operation has poorer results in adults than in children. The reason is nighttime erections, mm. which put the reconstruction yep. under pressure. If you operate before a boy starts having erections, it can heal a lot more nicely. Hmm, there you go. Penile pain. 
Um, hmm. Would you say that's quite common? Penile pain? Yeah. I think it depends. I'd probably say it's not super common. Like I don't know why your dick would hurt, but what is it? If your penis is fine when flaccid but hurts when erect, you probably have something called Peyronie's disease. What I don't understand is like why is it not Peyronie's disorder? Why is it a disease? Well, good I feel question. like it's a it's a mechanical pathology. So, like, why is it a disease, not a disorder? I don't know. We'd have to, have to dive into that one. I reckon it's probably an old name that's never changed. Peyronie. Well, Peyronie, I don't know. It's probably the guy that discovered it or something. Like, probably the first urologist that named it back in the day. <laughs> if you could have suffered a trauma you weren't aware of, but there will have been a little bruising. Oh, so. Do you know much about Peyronie's? Enough. I can kind of, I think I can explain what it is. Can you explain to us what that is? Yeah. So you've got the two, it's the cor- corpus cavernosum that's involved. It's not the tunica, it's the corpus it's cavernosum. A, I think it's the tunica albuginia. Is it? I thought it was the corpus cavernosum. It's two of them, isn't it? The cavernosa, yeah. Yep, yep. So I think it's the left and right. So for whatever reason, one gets damaged. So you end up having one that's shorter, one that's longer. So then the longer side, let's say it's on the right the penis ends up bending to the left, so then you end up getting a bent penis yeah. from trauma specifically. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't want to steal your thunder away for no, treat, treatment it, and stuff. It's basically a curved penis that's um, curved because it's it has been damaged in some way. Yeah, and I think um, it's specifically that. It's that one corpus cavernosum ends up shorter than the other, so it ends up bending to the opposite, to the shorter side. Another name for it is um, candy cane penis. Yeah. Um, have you heard of that one? No, I've just heard Peyronie's. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's not uncommon. I mean, I remember seeing a patient, a couple actually with Peyronie's. The guy, um, the Peyronie's was more, the bent in his penis was more obvious when he had an erection. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, he um, had taken a number of photos of his erectile, erect penis uh, to show me. Uh, this is what it looks like when my penis is erect and I can't really penetrate my partner. Um, it was really bent, actually. And so in the end, the couple got pregnant by us doing intrauterine insemination. So couples can still get pregnant with Peyronie's. As long as he can ejaculate, I imagine. Yeah, and that's right. And, and, and you know, there are degrees of Peyronie's. Sometimes it can be very mild where penetration is not an issue and then severe forms where it's it's just not. Yeah. Um, now, if you have pain in the underside of your penis, including when flaccid, you most likely have an inflamed urethra, and that is usually caused by a sexually transmitted disease. Get the old clap. What's the best way of preventing STDs? Abstinence. No. Um, <laughs> protection. Protection, yeah, and protection. then maybe don't sleep with everyone and anyone. You know, maybe be a bit more. So good old and, condoms. Yeah, condoms, but also just getting, you know, checked every few months. Yep. On to chapter eight where he talks about the disturbed relationship between man and his penis. Power and apprehension. Napoleon Bonaparte possibly had to go through life with a micropenis. <laughs> And historical sources suggest that Adolf Hitler suffered from hyperspadius. His urethral opening was in the wrong place. And then other people might say, then go on to say, well, maybe that's why they behaved the way they did as leaders. Maybe blah, blah. so angry. Um, 
Do men talk about their penises much? Like to each other? Mm. Um, they always make references to their penises, don't they? I usually joke about mine. Like I, I usually play it down. Uh, I'm, I'm very self-deprecating by default because uh, I'm comfortable with myself and I find that kind of humor fits me the most. I like comedians that are like that. So in a joking way. But you never joke about your penis being small, would you? Yeah, all the time. Do you? Yeah. Really? That's like the main thing I joke about. Oh, that your penis is actually small. Like micro. Yeah. Right. Okay. Even though it's clearly, you know. At least, and obviously three you inches. can do that because you feel you have the opposite. Yeah, like I'm comfortable with it. It's good. Okay, um, it's good that you're comfortable with it. But it's something that even just about my physical features, it's it's one of those things that over the years you you become more comfortable with. Um, you realize life's too short to to not have a joke about yourself. So, I I I've got mates that joke about their dicks all the time. It's just one of those things that you joke about and you have fun with and. It's like any feature of me that I'll be self-deprecating about but never self-loathing about. Mm. I think men do it, um, talk about their penises a lot more than women talk about their their vajayjays. Yeah, and I think I think women are starting to get a bit more permission to talk about that stuff. Mm. Maybe giving themselves permission. Yeah, that's what I mean. Mm. Not from other people but mm. just feeling like there's- From other people being men you mean? Well, I think it depends on the conversation and it depends on the maturity of the person. I openly talk to my friends and female clients about periods because, you know, different parts of the cycle will change how I train them. Good. Um, and I think more trainers need to educate themselves on that and just be open to it. Um, yeah, I think it's one of those things that once we start talking about our genitals and make it not a, a taboo thing anymore, we can learn a lot more from each other, feel more comfortable with ourselves. And um yeah, I think talking to women about this stuff takes a lot of the, you know, so-called gross factor away from it because a lot of men are like, uh, periods or uh, this or that. And I'm like, mate, it's mm. it's fine to talk about. It's not that bad. It's a normal thing that happens. Speaking of periods and penises, uh, a lot of men have no issues with having sex no. when a woman's having a period. doesn't bother me. But I think a lot of women feel that it's something that, uh, men are grossed out by, but I think a lot of it comes down to what the woman experiences and how she feels uh, about bleeding because yeah. obviously a lot of women have pain when they've got a period. And, and even if they feel it. ashamed or whatever kind of feeling they feel about the period, if they just feel uncomfortable, not in their actual vagina, but just on the, uh, you know, as a whole, if they feel uncomfortable about it when they're having sex, they're not going to be relaxed enough to climax, so it might be nowhere near as enjoyable. Mm. But even though climaxing uh, apparently takes a lot of pelvic pain away, it does. And a lot of you know, I've I've heard women, um, partners, friends, whatever, tell me that they they're a lot more horny when they're on their period, um, and that sex actually can help a lot with period pain. Or if they've got a period that's just not coming on, like it should be, you know, if if the distance from the last period is is becoming a bit too long, that sex can initiate the period as well. So yeah, there's, I think it's personally, I'm, especially when you're, you, you know, you've got a partner that you love or partner that you feel comfortable with, have that conversation with them. Um, even if it's a, you know, you've got a friends with benefits or whatever, whatever it is, someone that you're comfortable with for a long period of time, um, have that conversation. You know, if they're comfortable with it, you're both comfortable with it. 
if it's, you know, if you're worried, put a condom on and put a towel down, whatever. What do the Spanish say? Habla con ella. Exactly. Habla con ella. Speak with her. Let's talk with her, yeah. Uh, he talks about then imaginary flaws in in, uh, in men and their penises and he talks about body dysmorphic disorder, how he's had to once amputate uh, a penis in a man who had an extremely disturbed image of, this, of the sex organ and he'd had psychotherapy for years and um, – and he talks about uh, traumatizing moments. That's right, where we discussed in a previous uh, episode about um, women or even other men not making negative comments about their sexual partner's penis, even if it's in like a one-night stand and you're never going to see that person again. Never, ever say, oh, your penis is ugly or your penis is bent or whatever. I think that's a point you can't probably bring up enough because it does traumatize him people and it he does bring up this the issue around penile dysmorphic disorder having stemmed from uh just one episode that can really just cause flashbacks and he's got here overshadow the rest of your life. A typical example is having your first sexual experience with a girl and her dryly telling you that you have a small one. Others are laughed at in the sports club because their penis is short, condemning them to a life of uncertainty and doubt. Child abuse can also cause a chronic disorder. Boys who experienced unwanted sexual touching as a child have an increased risk of having a disturbed relationship with their genitals for the rest of their life. In the same way, sexual abuse often leads to a disturbed sexuality and various serious problems. In her book, A Little Life, American author Hanya Yanagihara describes very explicitly how destructive those emotional traumas are and the pain resulting from abuse can be. And it's funny, when I read that, I realized I've actually had that book on my shelf, A Little Life, for years and I haven't read it. Not really. And I think it's because of the size of the book. It's a really thick book. It's about this thick. And um, uh, what uh, to our authors, that would be at least five, six centimetres thick because you can't see how I'm putting my fingers up. I was going to say, that's that's about 12 inches. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's big. So I've, I've subsequently pulled out that book from my bookshelf and put it somewhere where I can um, see it now so that I can go back to it and finally read it. Uh, another question I have for you, Alex. All trans women, that is, uh, man going to a woman, mm-hmm. have their penises removed, true or false? False. Absolutely false, yep. So I think people assume that trans because they're women- transgender, not transsexual necessarily. That's the difference. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's just important to realize that um, the same way they may not want breasts, they might want to just have a, a chest yeah. and not necessarily want a breast implant. The same applies when they may or may not have bottom surgery. Um, but I feel like the the- the transgender and transsexual, I think we need to delineate the terms. So for me, a transgender person is they they believe that they're in the wrong – the gender doesn't line up with the sex of their body, the biological sex. And then a lot of them will transition. So they might, you know, look quote-unquote like a woman. They might even get fake, fake breasts and all that stuff that still keep their male genitalia. So, I mean, biologically they're still a man but – they're transgender, they're a transgender woman, so they've decided to live their life as a woman. And, um, you know, this is a philosophical discussion, really, but I think, you know, we should treat these people as women if they want to be considered mm. that way. Yep. So as long as, I think it's just important to not confuse the two. And I think if they do 
they've become transsexual, it's they've gotten rid of those sex organs and they've converted them to that of the other, the other sex. Yeah, it's a nice um, complicated but very interesting area. That would be my understanding of it. So I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's how I delineate transgender and transsexual. I believe they're two different yeah. things. One, um, one day I really want to have someone um, maybe from ACON to talk about this stuff. I have no idea what um, ACON is. I just know the rapper Akon. The AIDS Council of Australia. Oh, okay. Uh, and, uh, yeah, they run a lot of education around all of this stuff, Trans Hub, um, really amazing resources uh, that, yeah, I hopefully want to share with people one day. Um, I think that would be fantastic. Find find a trans person to come on and yeah. and talk about this stuff because yep. they know way more about it than I do, clearly. That's how you see it, I suppose. Yeah. yeah, which is interesting. It's your perspective. Yeah. 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 I just go. Have I'm, you done a lot of reading around gender? Yeah, a little bit, but it's not, you know, like, you know me, I'm very much a generalist. I like reading about different stuff and, and understanding different stuff, but it's something that, um, it's not something that I really engage with. I don't meet many transgender people or, um, transsexual people or whatever. So that's the beauty of books. You can meet a lot of different p people by reading different books. Yeah. Yeah. So like, it's just something that hasn't really affected my life that much personally. So it's not something that I've delved into much. Um, like I wouldn't, you know, go read a book about chair making cause I don't really want to start making chairs, but, but maybe if you did read a book about chair making, you'd want to start reading maybe or making chairs. Maybe it's like, this, mm -hmm. I'm studying, you know, how to trade stocks and all that stuff at the moment. Which a year ago, I w you asked me, would I be trading stocks? Hell no. As a you know, middle-aged white man, boring stuff. But you know, I'm actually really getting interested in it now. So, But I think realistically you have to have – you've only got a certain amount of energy in a day, a certain amount of focus you can put towards. So if I spread it too thin, I can never really ex kind of excel and get ahead. So I think it's better to have someone who's other, an expert on – um, you know, gender psychology and all that stuff, or a transgender slash transsexual person or an intersex person. I think that'd be that'd be cool because they could tell you a lot more about it than I could. Yeah. But everyone has a different perspective. Yeah. Masturbation. Hmm. Is it evidence of a disturbed relationship with your penis? If you masturbate, mm. I think you've got probably got a better relationship with your penis if you masturbate. <laughs> Well, here he's written, there are men who are asexual without any sexual needs at all. If they don't have a problem with it, then we shouldn't make it a problem. I totally agree with that. There are some people who are just not interested mm. in sex and are asexual and they are happy the way they are. And so who are we to judge them? You look at to call them frigids or whatever the hell yeah, you want whatever. to call them. Yeah. You look at um Sir Isaac Newton, he died a virgin. So I'm not saying he's necessarily was asexual, but he didn't put enough stock in it to even ever have sex. Who's like, that? So Isaac Newton. Oh, so Isaac Newton. Yeah, and he he laid the foundation. Is, that is it a tr is that a is that true? As far as I know. Okay. Uh, and if someone like that can see that importance in something and yeah, go, you he, know, what? he was ch he was channeling his energy into other things. Man. Exactly, that's he, what he was doing. He laid the foundation for physics. Thank you. He's amazing. Yes. So, and he he he's you know I think he was he was around in the 1600s I think. So is Newton. And then until Einstein came along with theory of relativity, that was what we ran on, was Newtonian physics. So, you know, sometimes sex isn't that important, you know, in the grand scheme of things for some people. Yeah, it can be very um, distracting for many people. Yeah. Um, 
talks about paraphilias and uh, which are disorders relating to a disturbed relationship with with the penis, um, you know, and how there is help for that. And it's probably more common than we think it is. Yeah. And then we're going to move now on to the final chapter of the book, which is a nice practical chapter about looking after your genitals. And I think a lot of this not just applies to men but also to women. Anyone who has genitals. Yeah, pretty much, and regardless of what your genitals look like. Um, it all comes back to a healthy lifestyle. Mm. Uh, and uh, obviously you, you know a bit about healthy lifestyles. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you say involves a healthy lifestyle? Um, I think regardless of what your dietary dogma is, and we all have dogma, I think, you know, Staying active as much as as much as is realistic, uh, you know, anywhere from sort of three to six days a week, trying to get some some form of exercise in. Um, sleep, sleep is the big one. I'd say more important than exercise, or at least on on level with exercise. Uh, eating a diet that's predominantly whole food, you know, that can be vegan, that can be carn- carnivore, that can be paleo, it can be whatever, flexitarian. But as long as it's predominantly whole food, you know, I, I'm personally more omnivore. I, I do love protein and, and meat, and I think it's it's very healthy, um, especially for male fertility. And but yeah, like just not eating too much crap food. We can. I don't think too many people are going to say, yeah, heaps of junk food is really good for you, and you should do that. So I think that predominantly is is a way to go. Um, water, <laughs> drink plenty of water. You know, these podcasts, I've drunk how many liters of water over these podcasts. So. Um, and just, just this is where the, the psychology comes into it. I think being accepting and loving to yourself and forgiving of past transgressions and, and trying to create connection and community around with the people around you. Um, good friendships like you and I, you know, could be a partner. It could be a good work relationship. It could, just anything that's going to create um a community of, of of feeling accepted and feeling loved and not having these big stresses because they can be massive stresses and they can leave you you know i think those are one of the main co- uh, reasons for premature ejaculation but those are some of the main reasons why we you know tend to binge eat or do drugs and things like that so i think really concentrating on mental health is a big one if you have, if you are having sexual issues, you know, go see, go see health professionals, go see a psychologist. I can't tell you how important having seen a psychologist in different periods of my life has been. So, yeah, I think it's, it's yes, it's about directly about the penis, but or the, or the vagina, but they are a reflection of everything else. The health of those areas are a reflection of everything else. Yeah, he pretty much. Um, mentions most of those things actually. So you might be surprised to know though mm. that he thinks, or he's written here, that a vegetarian diet is best for your penis. Okay. So okay. him and I can differ on opinion. 
He's got here, a vegetarian diet is best for your penis, but fanaticism is no good either. So as long as the basis of your diet is fruit and veg, you can add a piece of meat, fish, and egg or seafood to your meal too. So that goes back to your whole foods? Just whole foods, yeah. yeah. I found my best um, sexual health is when I'm eating predominantly meat and eggs. Um, just looking at the substrates that are in them. He's got here, if you, want, if you do want to eat meat, uh, well, chicken and turkey are the best sources of L-arginine. Yeah, but you're looking at you got to look get it iron and zinc. How are you going to carry mm-hmm. red blood cells around? Um, you need zinc for sperm production. You need them. You know, like there's. I'm not big and sustainability. This is where it's a total different conversation. I think beef is way better than chicken and turkey, but I don't think we should exclude those things necessarily. Mm. I think you know have have beef, have chicken, have turkey, have fish. Um, once again, whole food diets. He says don't be fanatical. Don't be fanatical about this stuff. If you're comparing beef to Mars bars, I think most people are going to go, yeah, beef's probably healthier. <laughs> um, but people can disagree with me. I don't care. That's fine. You know, I disagree with a lot of people and I think that's what this whole thing is about is having open discussions and putting our reasons forward for these things as well. But I'm very pro-meat for this stuff. Mm. Um, I mean, I agree with you. I think meat um, scattered in the diet is not a bad thing at all, provided uh, it's not, you know, ideally organic, but organic meats are very expensive. Like the other day I went to buy an organic chicken. It was like 30 bucks. Yeah. I don't really really buy chicken that much, man. I'm more of a beef guy. But even I could imagine organic beef is expensive. I don't really go organic at the moment. Okay. Just, just kind of get grass-fed. grass-fed. That's, I'm going to be transitioning towards getting regenerative agriculture meat. Um, so that's within the next month or two that's going to be happening. So hmm, Regenerative agriculture meat. Yeah. So regenerative agriculture is another, another whole another podcast, podcast right there. Okay, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hold that thought. You could maybe talk to I – can, I can think of some guys that would be hmm. good people to have on the show. Cool. Um. I'd mentioned arginine before. Uh, what is arginine? Arginine is amino acid. Mm-hmm. That is a precursor to nitric oxide. So um, you've got here, he's got here is semi-essential because I'm assuming that it means that your body makes some of it, but you also need additional from, from food. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's got here, which it means some circumstances it can't be made sufficiently by the body and so you need to get it from food. Yes, I was right. Okay, I've only just read the book anyway. I should know that. Arginine improves circulation, strengthens the immune system, and increases the male libido. Since it has favorable cardiovascular effects, it is used in the treatment of cardiovascular disease and high blood pressure. Arginine helps the body to process sugar and fat better and allows more nitric oxide to be released in the body. And it is nitric oxide that is essential for erection. And I like how it describes the arginine molecule he's got here. If you consider arginine as a three-dimensional molecule, you can see that there are two variants, one that turns anticlockwise and one that turns clockwise. It is the anticlockwise variant, which we call L-arginine, that gives erection wings. Men who get more L-arginine from their food get better erections. It works just like the synthetic erection pills you buy, but it's cheaper and doesn't have any side effects. The study that discovered this mechanism was so important it won the 1998 Nobel Prize 
for medicine. So that's a top tip for people who buy um, supplements. Uh, I think that would be important for people to know that it's L-arginine. That that's what you're after in a supplement. Um, and that's what most of the pre-workouts will have. Okay, in interesting. A, yeah, they'll have arginine. Um, ones that, uh, you know, they promote that they're a nitric oxide supplement. It's not, they, they wouldn't have nitric oxide in them. They just have precursors. Mm. Interesting, huh? Yeah. He then, of course, talks about the basics that everyone knows about really, which is, you know, avoid smoking, avoid too much alcohol, um, daily hygiene. These are all important things for, for, for genital health. Um, you know, yoga, meditation. And one thing he's written here that I think was really cute is uh, what is good for the erection is generally also good for the sperm. And he also says, you will soon view your penis like a good friend, someone you care about and on whom you can rely on. How cute is that? So he talks about an awareness of your penis and as I mentioned in previous episodes, this penisfulness and vaginafulness, which are the two words that I'm taking away from this book uh, as a very simple message um, for, yeah, body awareness. And, um, yeah, self-love really, isn't it? Self-care is a form of self-love. Just like women do breast checks, men should do penile checks and um, scrotal checks. And, of course, we know that those things are life-saving. A lot of men who develop testicular cancer um, pick it up because they've they've been examining their testicles and they could feel a lump. Um, and we know that examining your testicles regularly can pick up small lumps that then could lead to early diagnosis and less men dying from this condition. And the you know November is pre- pretty much based on that, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's I think November might be more prostate. I'm not sure, mm. but either way, isn't prostate cancer more common than breast cancer? It kills more people. I think more men um, die with it, mm. maybe not from it. Mm. But I don't know my prostate cancer stats, but I know it's very common. There are lots of old men who actually have it, but in the end it's, that's not what kills them. They often die from cardiovascular disease. That's the most common killer. Right. Um, so there are lots of older men out there who have this grumbling kind of low-grade prostate cancer who just have regular monitoring. Yeah. Yeah. So I think a, a good takeaway for this chapter is the three M's, Ash, the three M's. Mm-hmm. Meditation, masturbation, and mastication. <laughs> so Master- oh, yeah, mastication. What you relaxation. Mean? Yep. Self-love. Yep. And healthy food. Yep. And what else? Just those three, I mean. Mobility. Nah, you just no. ruined it. You just ruined it. Oh, you took the thunder away, Tash. <laughs> I came up with that on the spot and you wrecked it. But I'm trying to add to it. No, don't try. The other thing that I read in this chapter that made me go, oh, is that why men do this? And I've always found it kind of gross, to be honest. Scratch their nuts and sniff it? Yes. No, I don't know about the <laughs> sniffing. God, never. Oh, oh, oh. Um, um, <laughs> but maybe that's a form of self-love too, you know, getting to know, love your odour. I don't know. It's just um, being gross. <laughs> but- adjusting themselves, that men have to adjust themselves because the thin, soft skin of the penis and scrotum can still suffer from summer temperatures when clothed. When you sweat, the skin sticks together, putting you in some tricky situations. You know your penis or scrotum is uncomfortable in your trousers, but modesty stops you from quickly putting it all back in order. It always looks a bit strange when a man rearranges his private parts in public. In some countries, this is a more acceptable thing to do, for example, in Egypt, 
or other North African countries. Are you mindful of adjusting yourself in public? Yeah, I try and go for the um the hand in pocket method. <laughs> the more uh, discreet way. Yeah, but it is it's a thing. Like that's we're not jacking off in public. It's very much a my bits are sticking to my my leg or my bits are sticking to my bits. It's just one of those things that and it happens like all the time. You have to do it many, many times a day. Yeah. I um I now have um I now understand this. So I, I used to go, ooh, why does he have to do that in public? But kind of now I'm a bit more empathetic to that. Well, think of it if you had really large breasts and they kept sticking to each other or sticking to, you know, the the skin underneath them. You'd you'd want to be constantly kind of like moving them around and 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 stopping them. It's it's uncomfortable. It's a bit like flicking your hair out of the out of your face. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. He talks about the pelvic floor and the importance the importance of doing pelvic floor uh, exercises. Once again, though, with that, don't just practice. It's yin and yang. Don't just practice um, kegels all the time because you can become hypertonic. You can get too much tone overactivity in the pelvic floor, which then can cause premature ejaculation. Mm. So, and for women as well, they can start getting um, pelvic floor issues if they do too many kegels. So you want to make sure you're getting full contraction, but you're getting full stretch as well. It's like you wouldn't train your you wouldn't train your biceps through half range of motion. You want to train <laughs> through the full range. So you want to make sure that you're doing reverse kegels as well as um, normal kegels, so you can train that that full range of motion and get the full stretch reflex on those muscles, and so you're not getting this um, hypertonic response always being on. Um, yeah, you just want to make sure that you're. You're going for both. Hmm. Thanks for that. And it's been, also, it's been useful having you on this podcast. Oh, mate. Free I, tips. I know a, a thing or two here or there. Uh, also, the the pelvic floor is on a reflex loop, a neurological reflex loop with um, the transverse abdominis. And which is a, a muscle in yeah, our. Yeah, so transverse abdominis is part of the abdominal wall. It's mm-hmm. one of the deeper muscles mm-hmm. of. Does of it the form floor. part of the pelvic floor? No. Okay. No, no, no. So you get the pelvic floor. The reason I said the embryological thing before is because I think embryologically for that muscle group, it starts in, I think, the the pelvic floor and then it comes to the back and it starts to f- uh, form some of the back. But um, it comes like up- muscles? Yeah, so more like the diaphragm and mm-hmm. stuff. And then it comes up to form the front of the abdominal wall. Right. But I think it starts in the pelvic floor and comes up. And, um, yeah, you've got the diaphragm, the transverse abdominis. The diaphragm is that big- um, umbrella-like muscle that sits under the ribs. So when you breathe in, it moves down. Breathe out, it moves up, providing you have proper breathing patterns. Transverse abdominis is like a, a corset-like muscle that sits around um, sits around the organs, and that helps when you activate it. It helps to squeeze the organs to tighten the spine, create stability. And the pelvic floor that sits underneath, so it lifts the, the contents um, of the pelvic floor, lifts up the, the organs that sit on top of it. All of those work together to create stability in the spine. So you want to make sure they are on a neurological loop in someone that isn't suffering from back pain or hasn't had any of those muscles severed through surgery or whatever. There should be, when you lift the pelvic floor, theoretically there should be a low-level activation of the other core muscles to stabilize the spine. If you're always working them or walking around with them all the time, um, that can create some issues with, with breathing patterns in the diaphragm. So you're saying that men really should um, be aware of their pelvic floor, not only for core, but also for 
for premature ejaculation mm. and not always doing Kegels. Mm. So as I said before, um, I can't remember if it was this one or the last podcast, but if you're doing a Kegel, you're, you're, you're breathing out, you're pushing the belly out, you're trying to stretch everything, and then you're you know pulling in, contracting, get everything else working. So you're working these muscles through their full range and working them all together. Nice. Yeah. Thank you. No worries. I'm going to ask for you to uh, do something to finish this series of podcasts, and that is to read uh, a list here that uh, Dr. Piet Hoiberg. 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 I got no idea how to say it. I'm uh, sorry. Sorry, Doc. <laughs> and it's titled Daily Routine for a Healthy and Hygienic Penis. So if you could read. Uh, that to our listeners, and then we'll finish the podcast there. I'll give it a crack. Give it a crack. Passing the book to Alex now. Here are some tips for a clean and healthy penis that will give you lifelong pleasure. Wash daily with skin-friendly pH-neutral soap. Wash thoroughly and remember to rinse all soap residue away. Clean and rinse the crown of the glands, or the corona, where most smegma is produced, thoroughly too. Wash pubic hair with shampoo and trim it regularly. Take care when trimming or shaving to prevent any injuries. Lead a healthy lifestyle. The penis can't be healthy if your body isn't healthy. Sport and exercise are therefore good for your penis. Erections are fitness for the penis and mustn't be suppressed. Regular erections give the penis an oxygen boost. The pelvic floor muscles support penis function. Exercising the muscles separately helps keep the penis fit. Smoking, in addition to anxiety, is the biggest enemy of the erection. It clogs your blood vessels and leads to softer erections. Alcohol takes away your inhibitions, but it also reduces penis performance. Drugs like cannabis, heroin, and cocaine can also impair erectile performance. Obesity is inversely proportional to penis health. In plain terms, the fatter you are, the more problems you'll have with your penis. Regular ejaculation is beneficial for a healthy prostate. Ejaculating too infrequently is a bigger problem than ejaculating too frequently. If you don't have one long-term partner or have other sexual contacts in addition to your partner, you run a higher risk of contracting a sexually transmitted disease. The condom remains the best protection against all STDs. Apart from pubic lice. And that, there you go, that ends it, does it? Yeah, as far as I know. Well, thank you so much for um, sharing your knowledge and uh, your your you know bits of your private life with us as well. We've yeah. learned a lot. I've learned a lot from you. Thank you very much. And on this note, Alex, I wanted to wish you a good lifelong penal health. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode with Alex Ballesteros, that it's inspired you to pick up Dr. Pierre Hobeck's book. Share this episode with someone if you think it will help them. Please subscribe to the Fanny Mechanic channel and if you haven't already, hop over and give the show a fantastic rating. Shoot me a message on Instagram, Dr. Tash Fanny Mechanic and join the Fanny Mechanic podcast group on Facebook. Let me know of any topics you'd like to hear, cool people like an interview or books for us to read and share. Until next time, stay fanny-tabulous.